97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Right, welcome back. Hour number two of a Monday edition of the show. we still got a lot to get to here this afternoon, including 445, Frank Cusimano. Fred, how much football did you watch over the weekend? Uh, not as much as usual, but since we don't have Channel 5 still or KSDK. I, oh, I kind of forgot about that. So you, And that's through what? Um, is it? You don't have direct uh, TV, but you have it's, U-verse, It's U-verse, right? yeah. Wow. That, and hasn't that been like a two-month deal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard the Steelers game on radio. Well, I mean, they were carrying that, I guess, because it's, you know, all, well, the battle for the wild card. They, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. they had happened what needed to happen. The Packers oh, yes. won last night. Yeah. They're in the playoffs. So I think it's a, a pretty good week of matchups. We Unless get you're a matchup. Patriots fan. Well, right. <laughs> wah, and wah. Bill Belichick did not get fired today, I don't think. Or well, They're not going to fire him, right? I mean, it would be more Are of they a— they or not? Well, I don't think they would fire a guy like that. I think it would be more of a mutual agreement to—we'll um, to, ask— Cusimano. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Mizzou basketball did not have a good weekend. The Blues won on Saturday night. So we'll wrap up sports with Cusimano. Greg Salisbury will be here after Sue's News. He's a former president of Western Colorado University, but really did a great investigation into some of this DEI, CRT stuff that's happening in our U.S. military. So that's coming up in just a little bit. I, I had heard this story last week, and I'll be honest with you. There's things that kind of happen in pop culture, and I don't really understand them. And this was certainly one of them. So I thought we would explain just a little bit. Did you see, Fred, had you paid attention last no, week or so, uh-uh. this thing uh, with Target and people oh, getting yeah. run over because they were going for these Stanley quencher cups, these mm-hmm. Stanley um, Valentine's Day quencher cups. Now, I, when I think of Stanley, I think of Stanley tools. Right. Right. So I don't even know what this is, but Stanley sells bottle-adjacent products. They're headquartered in Seattle. They've been around for more than 100 years. It was William Stanley Jr. that combined, this is the New York Times telling me this, combined vacuum insulation and steel to create a water bottle. That was in 1913. Yeah, 13. It's pretty impressive. In 2017, there was a shift. The Buy Guide, which is a blog that recommends products for consumers, featured their 40-ounce quencher cup, and they called it The One. This was in an Instagram post. Well, that was a big stroke of luck because they weren't promoting that bottle, and all of a sudden, boom, it went crazy. And I guess the team behind The Buy Guide, two sisters and their cousin, reached a deal with Stanley to sell the cups wholesale, and they sold 5,000 units. So then they started shifting into some different marketing, and I guess they created this particular cup and people want it, but I don't understand why it's... Well, um, okay, here's the deal. It was a holiday, it's a Valentine's Day edition, mm-hmm. and it in, can, uh, what do you call it, in partnership with uh, Starbucks. So it's a pretty pink color, and I suppose it's only out for, you know, a special edition, but I still have no idea why you would actually line up at Target. Some people were supposed to be spending the, spending hours in line waiting for these things. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of videos that went, you know, viral on social media where people running each over down like it was Black Friday right. at Target. They're $45. Apparently, they are gone on Target's website, so I don't know how many stores might have them. Probably you can get most them on of the stores eBay. have sold, sold out. Well, yeah. right, but you're going to pay more for it there, Well, I you? saw one for 49 Nine bucks, and then there was one on Etsy for about fifty bucks. But if you really want one, why do you? Get it. Why would you really want something like this? I'm because sure they created I get the that. marketing has just created a demand that you well, didn't know yeah. that you needed it. And then it was on TikTok, and then you know when they show everybody running for it, then the people who don't know about it say, "What is this?" And then they want to figure it out. I'm sure the sales are just skyrocketing. The, the New York Times story says there's been a steady stream, and I've seen some of these of social media videos showing customers nearly coming to blows or otherwise overrunning the store to obtain their own 40-ounce pink or red water tumbler. Some are even camping, camping outside of Target to make sure that they can get their hands on one. People have way too much time 
on their hands, don't they? Yes, they do. I that that really caught me off guard. So, but you know, I didn't know who Joe Co was on the. <laughs> isn't that his name? Coy. Coy. See, I still. <laughs> well, don't, I didn't either. I still don't know who he is. Right? <laughs> I don't know. These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. <laughs> and now, Sue's news, sponsored by Mister Appliance, speedy expert service, MisterAppliance.com. I was going to try to, you know, send out a tweet of what the uh, road conditions look like. Do you think that pretty well says it when the camera is kind of frozen over and you can see? What do you think, Mark? I mean, it, then you can kind of see the cars behind it, but it, it's just giant snowball. I'll send that out because be careful on the roads before I get into Sue's news here. All right. It is National Bubble Bath Day. Finally something I can get behind. Abby, are you with me? Oh, yeah. Not in the same tub, of course. No. But we just like the idea. (laughs) Now, uh, I've just recently purchased some new bubble bath. I'm very excited by it. I like uh, a bubble bath with some Frank Sinatra. You know, they make these phones better so that you can put bring up Spotify. And it sounds actually pretty good on the phone with the... uh, in the bubble bath with the candles. And permission whatnot. to ask a question. Uh, yes, uh, permission. Fred. Yes. When's the last time you may have taken a bubble bath? Uh, I don't think I ever have. How about old Fred Martin? Wait a second. Wait, Not never? Like, when you were five a, years old, you on. took a bubble yeah, bath? As a, a bubble okay. bath as a kid. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's I think right. the last okay. time I took a bubble bath right. was probably 1973, if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Come to the to the, to the bubble side. It's you, nice. You it know, is. for Christmas, um, family members were exchanging different, like, Bath bombs and mm-hmm. all this bubble stuff like crazy, and everybody's like, oh, this is the coolest thing. You know, it's totally missed it. I, didn't I get gave it. my brother-in-law bath bombs because he loves taking baths. He takes one like every day, so that's what I got him but for see, Christmas. I love that. This is mm-hmm. a good question, Fred. I'm going to rephrase the question I just asked. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Second, second attempt, Fred. When's the last time you took a bath? Uh, probably the same amount exactly. of time. Exactly. Oh my gosh! Right. Really? Well, I don't like well, the idea yeah. of sitting in. We have these things now. They're called water. showers. You showers, walk into them and then you turn the water on. And you don't have to wait for the water to fill up in the damn tub. It's amazing, really. It's new but technology. You are in the hot tub constantly. It's just your own bathtub. <laughs> you're not in. There you go. That's a good. That's a good. Yeah, point. Right. Just point <laughs> got that me out. Okay. Okay. And then if you're thinking through it, maybe some of the same uh-huh. stuff effects. Yeah. Because relaxing. Yeah. Relaxing. All right, suit bubbles. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, got me on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on this day in history, 189 years ago, that's in 1835, the U.S. national debt was completely paid off. <laughs> Wow. It was under Andrew Jackson, and it gave us a zero balance for the first and only time in history. It's just so sad. It is. 189 years ago in 1835. I just don't really understand why, you know, because in Missouri, you, you it's constitutionally required. You have to balance the budget, right? Thank goodness. That's part of their responsibility. Senator Shore and all the others that you hear on the station, they do it. It sometimes goes down to the wire, but they pass a budget every year and it's balanced. Yeah. We don't have to do that in the feds, right? And there have been efforts to do a constitutional amendment for a balanced budget amendment. I support that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I, I don't understand why anyone I don't either, would oppose Mark. that. I, I really don't. Truly, I don't either. Uh, and on this day in history, you know how I love him. Uh, 62 years ago, in 1962, 21-year-old Jack Nicholas played in his first professional golf tournament. It was the L.A. Open. He came in 50th place and won $33.33. <laughs> How about that? I love it. 
Jack Nicholas uh, in his first tournament, only 21 years old. Isn't that amazing? 62 years ago. And that, of course, brings me into this story that we were talking about earlier. Speaking of golf, uh, the end of an era today, Tiger Woods announcing that uh, his partnership with Nike is over. And uh, they had a partnership for 27 years. I mean, think of it. You just when you think of Tiger Woods on the golf course, what is he wearing? Yeah, it's, a red Nike shirt, right. a black hat. Uh, it's just one of the most iconic relationships so, in I, sports. And I did history. hear about this earlier. Is it just sort of a, a mutual agreement to kind of go I think in different so. ways at this I, point? Yeah, because he's not playing consistently. I, I don't know Here's if there's what he anything says. He says, People will ask if there's another chapter. Yes, there will certainly be another chapter. Nike called Woods one of the greatest athletes the world has ever seen. I mean, let's face it. Both of those, uh, the company and Tiger Woods, they both made a lot of money yes, off of one did. another. Right? Yes, they did. Yeah, that was a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, the annual Consumer Electronics Show starts tomorrow in Vegas. Uh, I always like seeing what the new things are going to be. We do, too. You know, there's a story out today, um, just kind of a preview, and it's about a turlet. So we're talking about <laughs> it with Fred. All right. All right. <clears throat> the bathroom brand Kohler is pushing a new bidet. That connects to Alexa or Google Home to offer voice-activated washing services. Alexa, shoot for water your at my ass. Is that what it is? Are <laughs> yes, you kidding me? That is correct. You can ask. Once that's done, you know, say, uh, well, we'll say Google Home in this uh, studio just so we don't have to say that for Alexa. But, yeah, you can say, okay, wash me. And then the bidet kicks in. And once that's done, you can ask her to uh, turn on the drying feature so you can... Dry yourself. Oh, off. I didn't know there was a drying feature. I, I was unaware of this. That's nice. My brother went through a bidet phase for a while, and his wife made him put it out in their garage. They have like an <laughs> apartment in the garage. She says, "I'm not. No, you could put that in the garage." <laughs> he said he installed it on the top of the toilet, and he was the only one who liked it. So I don't know if it's there I, anymore. I, I support the concept for uh-huh, sure. Uh-huh. The concept I, I I embrace, but we just have never. It's never really something Americans have. No, we really haven't. You right. Uh, both features, by the way, are offered in their Pure Wash E930 model, which retails for the low, low price of $2,149. <clears throat> now, that's not for a full toilet, just the bidet. The, the, that's the bidet seat itself. Uh, and you can, it's not a totally new feature. Kohler offers their Numi Smart Toilet that came out a few, uh, Turlet, sorry. They came out a few years back, but it's supposed to be a more affordable version. Fred, this is for the common man. That's you and me and uh, Abby. I don't think I will uh, ever use a bidet. Uh, really? I, you wouldn't I try know, it? I know people that have them that swear by them. They love them. You wouldn't try it? I'm just uncomfortable with this whole topic. Yeah, Are I, you? I, I don't know. That I kind am. of makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Their full toilet option is eleven grand. just letting you know if you don't want to wander, wander into that territory. Uh, what do you think the world will look like 100 years from now? This is uh, somebody who looked at predictions that made made by people in 1924 who thought they knew what the world would oh. look like. I always love these. Here are some of the highlights. <clears throat> Horses would be extinct in 2024. A professor at USC predicted horses would be an endangered species because of the invention of automobiles, and they would just render them useless. A quote, in another hundred years, you may find horses in zoos. That's the only place you will be able to find them. 
Number uh, the second one was working from home. A, a guy wrote a, a book called Wireless Possibilities, which basically predicted the internet. He said, "What help to a businessman who objects to a large city? Why could he not conduct his business from his house in comfort?" There you go. Uh, Seventy-five years would seem young. A British politician predicted life expectancy would it be it would be at least a hundred, and we'd still feel young at seventy-five. I know that makes that Mark Reardon happy. No, I think that's true. I don't know about the life expectancy getting to a hundred, but I do think obviously we're living longer, which is creating some of the problems with Social Security, etc. But yeah, that that's interesting. I think that's interesting. World peace. There was a guy who thought that movies would create world peace. Yeah, uh-huh. Because they were a universal language that could help us all understand each other. And that was, what, 1924, Yeah, that's right? correct. <laughs> and then somebody else said, no, constant war everywhere because we're going to have futuristic weapons, and that means major cities would constantly be under attack. Uh, someone else guessed that women would be in charge and men would be raising the kids, people. Uh, they say in a letter to the New York Daily News, a guy said, quote, women will occupy the highest positions and men will just do the physical labor. Well, that has not happened. Um, they also thought... Good thing, because we're really bad at physical labor. <laughs> yeah. Mark and yeah, I. but, you know, I, I think to a certain extent some of that has happened. Well, I mean, some of this happened. Cities would be totally rebuilt around cars, right? I mean, right. they did the whole highway system, everything like that. In the 20s, uh, uh, 1924, a Swedish, Swedish architect wrote, In a city of 100 years from now, I see three-deck roadways, speedways through the heart of town, skyscrapers with entrances for automobiles. Well, he nailed it. As high as 15 stories. Yeah, he didn't really get it on the entrances to the skyscrapers. <laughs> no, but, but everything else. Yeah. And uh, the final one was, everybody will be flying to work, which we all wanted from the Jetsons, and it just hasn't and happened. I'm still surprised right? that we're not doing that. I really, I'm a little disappointed by that. And if that doesn't happen before I leave the planet, I'm really going to be pissed. I understand. I won't be around here to express my frustration, but <laughs> no, that, that seems unfair that we've been watching the Jetsons and all that for 50-plus years, and, and we don't get a, to fly around. Yeah, that's I not know, good. It's a total rip. I don't like it. Uh, in his guess, though, it was planes because that was a new thing, and he thought we'd all just hop in a plane and take that to work. Sue's News brought to you by Mr. Appliance. Speedy expert service. Go to MrAppliance.com. Finally, in Sue's News, we have today's random fact. <clears throat> Nicholas Cage was offered the role of Shrek, but turned it down because he was afraid kids would only think of him as an ogre. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that's it for Sue's News. There you go. I like that. I could see Nick. You know, sometimes uh -huh. you hear these and you're like, I don't know if that would have worked. I, I could see that it would have worked, I think, a little bit with Nick Cage and Shrek. Thank you, Sue. That's wrapping up a Monday edition. We have coming up here um, Greg Salisbury, who actually is the former president of Western Colorado University, did some great investigative work into the military and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we'll get to that coming up next. Cusimano at 445. Mr. Cusimano coming up uh, around 447 or so is my ETA on that. We'll talk a little NFL football and blues hockey. Etc. As we uh, start the week, he joins us every Monday and Friday. My friend David Rose, who's a professor at UMSL, he's been a guest on the show for many years as one of our economic experts, put this next guest on my radar. And it's a topic that we've been talking about quite a bit with diversity, equity, and inclusion, certainly related to what happened at Harvard, etc. Greg Salisbury here, the former president of Western Colorado University. He's a St. Louis native, I understand. Is that true, Greg? Can you confirm that? That is true, yes. I grew up on the north side, way in, uh, in Florissant. But you uh, wisely currently live in a much better climate, I understand, as snow is falling across the area right now. I don't think you have any of that. You're down in Florida, right? 
That is correct. I'm on flood watch here in Treasure Island. <laughs> so it's not free of, of issues, but snow isn't one of them. Well, you've written, I know you've written some books. You're the former president of Western Colorado University. Um, we're going to talk about the military and diversity, equity, and inclusion. But how, how did you get on this path on this particular topic? Well, I saw it unfolding at the university I was at, and I saw it unfolding in all of our universities. And I, I was very concerned because I don't think most of America really understood just what a grip the, the DEI CRT stuff had taken on our institutions. And, and it was, and it was accelerating. I mean, to this day, I'm not sure most Americans realize, for example, that college campuses today are offering segregated graduation ceremonies, segregated dormitories. I mean, yeah, some of, some of this is nonsense. And, you know, let me offer a real-life example of how people don't understand. I highlighted this, Greg, last week because, as you probably know, uh, Mark Cuban went on to X, and, you know, he was kind of critical of some of this stuff that was coming down related to Harvard, et cetera. And he said, of course you hire based on merit. Diversity means you expand the possible pool of candidates as widely as you can. Once you've identified the candidates, you hire the person. This is all in caps. You hire the person you believe is the best. Well, that was very revealing for Mark Cuban. He's a pretty successful guy. He's done a lot better than I have. But let's face it, he has not a clue about what DEI is, does he, Greg? Not if he believes that's truly happening. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, because you've yeah. got to put this into perspective. I'm sure there are people listening today that would say, wait, diversity, equity, inclusion, that sounds like a great thing. We want to bring different people in, make sure we have a good mix. But that's not what DEI is. It means precisely the opposite yes, exactly. of what they intend. Diversity really means anti-unity. Equity really means anti-meritocratic. And inclusion really means exclusion, as in the segregated graduation ceremonies and, and, and dormitories. So I mean, this makes no sense on its face. People, the, the grand wizards of the Triple K would be laughing in their graves and saying, you know, why didn't we think of this CRT and DEI stuff? Well, this is an issue that has been near and dear to this show for several years now. And I've uh, there's a guy out there by the name of John Seiler who's been really doing great work on DEI. You have university after university that has backed off on this, including the University of Missouri, North Carolina, others, because the lawyers have taken a look at some of this stuff when it comes to hiring and said, oh, yeah, we, we can't really do that legally. But I want you to focus on what you wrote about recently, and that's the military, because I think as shocking as some of these things would be with DEI, college campuses, <laughs> we kind of know where the market Marxism is on college campuses, but I suppose a lot of us as Americans would hope that it wouldn't be infused into our own military. Yes, you you really couldn't identify a more dangerous entity in which to instill this Marxist garbage than our military, which are supposed to be the guardians of our national safety, and um, and that's exactly what's happening. And unfortunately, within the military. As I point out in my piece, there's there's no voting. You know, this is a understandably a top down run organization. And so when Obama's executive order one three five eight three is sent down the pike, it that is what is put in place. So and as, yeah, that, as you point out, there's a lot of money. Look, the, the Pentagon has requested uh, an additional hundred fourteen million dollars for more diversity and inclusion activities. But what, what are the ones you highlighted and what are we talking about here? Kind of put this into perspective for folks who are listening right now. What's happening at some of these military institutions? 
Well, far more eloquent on this topic would be a group I get a lot of my information from, which is called STARS. Their website, stars.us. STARS is Stand Together Against Racism and Radicalism in Our Services. And they highlight numerous instances of cadets reporting, you know, being, um, being told they're racist, to explain their white privilege, or divided up amongst uh, different races, etc., the, the recruiting for all uh, of the services for Navy, Air Force, Army is the worst it's been since 1973. And it's not just because people aren't signing up. It's because those who are already in are looking for the earliest opportunity out. And many of them report that the reason they want out is due to these CRT and DEI uh, policies being shoved down their throats. Greg, and, did you hear any of um, Vivek Ramaswamy's responses to both a Washington Post reporter and an NBC reporter last week on some of this stuff? Yes, and so, I, I think he has a lot of it right. Yeah, he does. Well, because he's asked, you know, they're trying to press him on white supremacy. And then I love the way that he turned this around on this NBC reporter in particular. He goes, well, you understand when they talk about with Kendi and some of these others talk about white supremacy, they're talking about, you know, punctuality, being on time, things along those lines that people, I guess, white people have been doing for years. And, and if you do things responsibly, that's racist because you can no longer just be someone who treats people fairly. Right. You have to be actively anti-racist, and that's some of the stuff that's creeping into the military, correct? Absolutely. All of it's creeping in, and more than creeping, frankly. <laughs> Being embedded, um, and if you would read some of the reports that, that STARS gets directly from, from the horse's mouth, if you will, folks who can anonymously report their situations, and STARS reports on a lot of these, it's truly disturbing it's it's frightening how did this do you have a good handle on where this kind of started and how it's accelerated because when trump was president i know that there was some you know investigation of this and i think some of it was peeled back obviously there's been a few years where that's headed in the other direction but i think a lot of people greg would be just sitting here scratching their head saying how the hell did this even happen right if, if you ask the average you, know, you say to the average person that that diversity equity and inclusion and CRT are really a, a byproduct of Marxist theory. On its face, that sounds like an overreach. Right, like, exactly. what? Yeah. Wait, what, what? But uh, the more you dig, the more you see that is exactly right. Chris Rufo is more eloquent on the subject yes. than just about anybody. Well, let me stop you right there because I think New what book. you just said is important. And by the way, we've highlighted Rufo's work. But what, I love what you said because I've said it before in, in a certain way as well. And one of the things that happened in the aftermath of uh, October 7th, I think, is that in what's happened on our college campuses is that this has been a little bit more defined for just the regular American. There's still a lot of people that really don't know what's going on. But I think in, in a certain way, maybe some of this has brought this to the surface now when it comes to the reality of DEI. I hope you are correct, and I think you are. But, but to, to, to your first question, where did it come from? It came from the absolute failures of direct Marxism uh, when, when the very public failures over the last several decades, since World War II, really, were out there from, from, the, from the Nazis to the fall of the Soviet Union to, to Venezuela and Hugo Chavez's socialism crumbling and failing miserably, going from being one of the most powerful countries in the Southern Hemisphere to, to their citizens rooting through dumpsters for meals. 
I mean, they, they couldn't just say the left I'm talking about couldn't just say, well, the old adage, let's give Marxism another try. They knew that would be rejected. So the approach per their, the, the father of the new left, Herbert Marcuse, was to, as he put it, work against the institutions by working within the institutions. And so they began the long march through the institutions of getting embedded, and that's what's happened. <clears throat> if you really look at what's behind this, it is to, to sow chaos, to tear at the very American fabric that has built Absolutely. what we have with, with democracy, capitalism, free markets, and meritocracy. Tear, tear that down, first foment chaos. What better way to do that than things that will eat at the, the, the nuclear family of, of questioning genders and what it means to be a boy or a girl or a man or a woman? And um, it, so, so it's really not the stretch that people might think when they first hear it. The more you dig, the more you realize that's exactly what's happening here. This is a this is a Marxist philosophy that the left is working hard to embed within our institutions. So there's a guy by the name of Michael Hiltzik who writes for the L.A. Times, big lefty columnist. But I, I read all these newspapers, and sadly I pay for them because I meet the paywalls, you know, when I'm trying to do a radio show here, Greg. But Michael Hiltzik, I, I sent him an email. I didn't think I was going to get a response. He wrote a column about Claudine Gay and, you know, the right-wing hatred out there. And this is one of the lines, and I sent this to him. Here's the quote. The debate about her resignation has ignored the noxious context, which is a concerted attack on American higher education, indeed all education, by a right-wing cobble. And I sent Michael an email that said, I'm going to rate that statement as true. However, you misspelled indoctrination. Just trying to help and fairness your columns give me a lot of laughs on my right-wing cobble radio show in St. Louis. For, for that, I thank you. But I'm being serious in the sense that these are people that have bought into this notion, Michael Hiltzik, others, the rest, rest on the left, in, in not understanding. And I think that we've gotten it. You've gotten it. There's a lot of people, Chris Rufo, been trying to root this out because now we know this starts in elementary school with the indoctrination. Some of us yes. have been warning about this for a long time. But I think even with those warnings, we didn't expect it to go down to kindergarten garden in pre-k which is exactly what's happening exactly yes your, your reference to claudine gay i was i was dying for one of the congress people to ask the question when she responded that well it's it, you have to understand the context to determine whether it's a violation I, I i wanted somebody to ask can you please explain to me dr gay the context in which it wouldn't be hate speech to call for the genocide of all jews Please explain to me that context. <laughs> I think that, you know, Congresswoman Stefanik gave her so many off-roads to maybe clarify that, and she refused. But here we sit, though, and this is what's problematic about, and I'll put a lot of this on the media being complicit, and I think you would agree, Greg, you, you still have a lot of people out there that think that this was some sort of, you know, racially motivated attack by right-wing people in this country to remove Claudine Gay. They don't even pay attention to the plagiarism charges and all that nonsense, because if you really pay attention to the New York Times and CBS and CNN, they filtered that so much where you'd just be under the impression that this is another, you know, white supremacy move by white Americans. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm hoping this is the start of dialing this back. I'm hoping it can be. And I, I think we so can too. get more of your listeners so motivated to object wherever they see it. Well, we Call have it good, out for what it is. We've got some good people around here, Senator Hawley and Senator Schmidt and others that are trying to do something about this stuff. But, Greg, thanks for highlighting it here this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. You are a St. Louis native, Greg Salisbury. So do you get back ever? 
I do. I still have some family back there, and I get back at least once a year, awesome. sometimes more. Come see us sometime at uh, 97.1 FM Talk. Thank you so much. Enjoy the warm weather in Florida. Thanks so much, All right, Mark. we'll see you. Big national championship game tonight. Michigan and Washington. Frank Cusimano, KSDK Sports Director, with us on this Monday afternoon for his regular visit. Who you got tonight, Cusimano? Oh, it's tough to go against Jim Harbaugh. I love the way Michael Penix Jr. throws a football, but I'm going to go with Harbaugh going out in a blaze of glory, then taking the Los Angeles Charger job in about three or four days. It's Michigan year, I think. Is that definitely the uh, is that the expectation for Harbaugh at this point that he is going to go back to the NFL? Yes, and if and he's the one that's going to have his pick of the litter. You know, he could be offered a couple of jobs, and the San Diego job, I mean, the Charger job is definitely the best one because you have Justin Herbert to work with. How many coaches got fired today, by the way? It is Black Monday, as they call it, right? I think the number is five, but that does not include Bill Belichick. That'll probably go a little bit later in the week. This is just one of those, like, I don't have, uh, you know, horse in this particularly. I'm not a fan of Michigan. I think I'm going to go for Washington tonight. I'm just looking for a good game and, and maybe keeping it close just as a, a football fan. But these games, the other thing about these bowl games and the national championship, they go on forever. I mean, this will be a four-hour-plus game tonight with all the commercials in the halftime. Oh, you're right. It, they're not kicking it off till 7.30 Central Time. So let's say it's 8.30 Eastern Time. This game will be over like, you know, after midnight on the East Coast. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And you throw in the fact that Washington throws the ball so much, man. This you're absolutely right. Yeah, yep, yep, absolutely. All right. So, what do you think about the final day in the NFL? We now have the playoff situation set. There were some pretty good games yesterday. A lot of last-minute decisions because we didn't know about some of the answers. And then the Chiefs are going to play on Peacock. So, if you don't have Peacock or if you don't sign up, you're not even able to see them, right? Yeah, believe me, I've been catching uh, bad emails about that today, actually blaming Channel 5 for we have nothing to do with it. But the, the most intriguing thing about the weekend was, was what happened last night with Josh Allen, who threw some of the most hideous, dumbest balls I've ever seen in the first half, and yet absolutely electrifies a nationwide audience in the second half and wins the game. My contention is, I'm not saying he's the best, but he may be the greatest athlete true athlete to ever play the position because he's a little bit bigger than Lamar. He throws the ball a little bit uh, better than Lamar. He's certainly bigger and stronger than Steve Young. He's just uh, just an unbelievable athlete who you want to strangle, and then in the end you want to hug because he wins games. You know, the uh, the conventional wisdom would be, and I, I was looking at all the ESPN stuff this morning, and I'm a huge NFL fan, so I, I follow this stuff. But obviously you got Baltimore. They look rather unstoppable compared to other teams in San Francisco and the NFC. However, having said that, it never really seems to work out according to script. And you catch a team that's hot, uh, you know, in a wild card round, and obviously if you don't have the bye, that makes it a little bit more challenging. But would your expectation be Baltimore, San Francisco, that's our Super Bowl? you got other options here. I, I would. I mean, if I had to say, okay, those two teams, yeah. But there are, like you just said, like Buffalo, who went into that game last night, was on the verge of not making the postseason. They could actually win the Super Bowl. I think Cleveland is really scary with that defense and that good mojo from Joe Flacco. It's amazing. And, you know, I hate to say this, but the Rams, the Rams could are win playing some well. Games. Yep. Yeah. Now, they could also lose to Detroit, 
which I'm really going to be rooting for. What a game. You have Jared Goff going against the Rams, against Matthew Stafford going against the Lions. I love that. And then the Packers go down. They played Dallas. They, they well, a hell of a game in 2016. I'm sure you remember that one with Aaron Rodgers, and they beat the Cowboys when they weren't favored in a thriller. And they play their old coach, Mike McCarthy. And the Packers obviously playing pretty well. I was so worried about that game with the Bears last night. But Jordan Love and the Pack came through. They're a young team. I don't expect them to make a lot of noise in the postseason, but it was certainly, as a Packers fan, nice to get there. Yeah, uh, playing in Dallas is really dangerous. They're a completely different team. And Dak Prescott has probably had the second-best season of any quarterback after Lamar. I mean, if you look at his stats, you think, how could he not win the MVP? He's not going to win it. So uh, he's scary, but I don't think Green Bay can go to Dallas and win. Well, we'll see what happens. you got to play the games. How about the Blues right now? They're actually playing pretty good hockey. They win again on Saturday night, Frank. Yeah, you're talking about two uh, huge victories against two really good teams in Vancouver and Carolina. They got Florida tomorrow. They are now seven and three under Drew Bannister. Again, one of the least popular moves made in St. Louis sports over the last 10 years, firing Craig Berube could turn out to be the smartest decision by the blues because Drew Bannister, the first thing he did was, Hey, I know Jordan Kyrie is a pretty good player and I'm not going to try to always get on him and put him on the second, third line. I'm going to play him with Robert Thomas because that gives us the best chance to, to succeed. He's done well. He completely changed the power play. Um, my hat is off to Drew Bannister. He's done a terrific job. Hey, Frank, before I let you go, what do you make of this whole Blake Baker situation at Mizzou? It's just so frustrating as a fan. You see these guys, they get paid, they get extensions. Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator of the Tigers, hell of a season. And then, of course, he uh, gets an extension. He's paid a lot of money. LSU, Brian Kelly comes after him again. And then finally, over the weekend, he says, okay, I'm going to LSU. I mean, when does this stuff end? Yeah, especially when I sat in front of him uh, about nine days ago in Dallas saying, I never thought about leaving Missouri. I just love it here. Now, the LSU D.C. job wasn't open at the time. But here's the thing is, you know, more power to him. He can make more money. He's got some roots in Louisiana. Fine. But don't ever, ever. Believe a coach when they say, I love it, I'm staying. Don't ever, ever, you know, criticize a football player for leaving the program because coaches do it more often than that. And, you know, here's the other thing is, yeah, go ahead and have fun with that nut, Brian Kelly, because he is a maniacal, no crazy man. And I'd much rather be around Coach Drink. So, and you know what? If he wants to be head coach, he could have stayed one more year. Mizzou's going to have a really good season. He could move then. Who knows what LSU's going to do without Jane Daniels as their quarterback? I thought it was a weird move, but I guess maybe there's some family considerations and maybe his wife made the, uh, the final decision. Frank, you have a great week. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk on Friday afternoon. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. On the Mizzou football front, this was sort of interesting. Um, USA Today got a hold of Eli Drinkwitz's contract and uh, how much money he's going to be made. Coach Drink of Mizzou. So his new deal will pay him $46 million. Oh, my goodness gracious. The Columbia Daily Tribune learned some of this as well. $9 million in 2024 before bonuses. An additional 250000 beginning in 2026. The final year of the contract, 2028. He'll earn $9.5 million in theory. The previous deal was $6.25 million after 24 and then $7 million in the final year. So he basically got a $2 million raise over the course of a couple of years. He's the fourth highest paid coach in the SEC. Saban's number one. Kirby Smart at Georgia, number two. Brian Kelly, 
the weasel that he is, is number three. He's going to earn as much as uh, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, and Mark Stoops at Kentucky, which is fair. I think that he absolutely should be there. His pay is $450,000 in base salary in 2024, but also payments of $2,137,000 for arrangements that are you know, related to TV, radio shows, alumni groups, etc. He's doing pretty well right there. But the other thing about this is that if the university fires him without cause, then he um, is owed 75% of the remaining contract, which that number is $34.5 million. On the flip side, and I like that they do this and they should always do this, if he leaves before December 1st of 2025, he owes the university $5 million. Now we're talking. Yeah, so that's a pretty good little uh, stipulation in there. Get more at 971talk.com.